Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to episode 32. So we have been talking about Tower of Babel, and we are going to continue that conversation today into deeper things. Yeah, we're going to kind of take a, a back room, backstage visit into some things that were happening as a result of the Tower of Babel that don't actually show up in the book of Genesis. How do we want to get started? So we're going to start off in a passage in Deuteronomy 32. And there's an interesting thing about this chapter is that it's actually quoted quite frequently in the New Testament. And then there's actually some indirect allusions to Deuteronomy 32. And so it's it's an interesting chapter. It's really long. But luckily, we're only going to look at three verses. <laughs> so, uh, and to give this some context, like you said, last week we talked about the Tower of Babel, and basically there was a big group of people who said, hey, we don't want you to rule over us. Uh, we want to have another God. They built a temple. They were basically trying to replicate the Garden of Eden, and they were inviting other gods to come down and, and rule over them. And so if you just keep reading Genesis, you're thinking, okay, the Tower of Babel, interesting. You know, next episode, I wonder what's going to happen. And you just kind of move on. But the cool thing about Deuteronomy 32 is that we get a, a window into actually some things that God did as a result of the Tower of Babel. And it does have a significant implications for how we understand the Bible and especially the story of Jesus. So we're going to start off in uh, verse 7 and go through verse 9, and then we'll make some uh, comments about it. Okay. Deuteronomy 32. Remember the days of old? Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Okay, so it's kind of interesting that they start off here saying, hey, like there's some family tradition. There's some stories that if you ask your parents to tell you about, they'll tell you. And they're tied up in many generations ago. The thing that Moses brings out here, in, which, by the way, I failed to mention this, uh, Deuteronomy 32 is called the Song of Moses, and they're about to enter into the Promised Land. And Moses is basically saying, hey, everybody, uh, we need to get our act together, because once we go into the land, it's game on. He's kind of giving them a short history of how we got to this point. In verse 8, he says, when the Most High divided their inheritance among the nations... When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, every commentary you read, every scholarly article you check out is going to say, this is talking about the Tower of Babel. When God divided the nations, 
uh, when he set the boundaries of the peoples, when he separated the sons of men. Essentially what he's saying is that when God separated the people, it wasn't just kind of like, you know, dropping a bunch of marbles on the floor and then seeing where they landed. Um, the people did scatter, but basically what the people were saying to God is, is we don't want you to rule over us. And what he did is he divided the peoples up into groups in his mind, in his lens as to how he's seeing it. The people were divided up, and he actually divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. And this is one of the key phrases that you have to kind of uh, dig down into to kind of know what that means. Yeah, I was going to say, let's refresh about who the sons of God are. Yeah, it, it kind of brings us back to Genesis 6, where the sons of God are members of the divine council. They're divine beings. And originally, because they did not want God to rule over them, God basically said, okay, if you don't want me to be your God, I won't be your God. But I'm going to sort of assign you a middle manager. You know, the, the best scenario I can think about this is like, think about if you had like a really big elementary class with like 40 kids in it. And let's say they, walk, they all went out to recess one day and there, there was this big fight. And, you know, they picked up rocks and they picked up balls and like it was just mass chaos. A, a huge fight broke out on the playground. And then the principal comes in and says, okay, you know, you don't want to listen to your teacher? Then we're going to break this class of 40 up into four classes of 10, and they're all going to have separate teachers, as opposed to having one teacher over all of them. The interesting thing about this is that chapter 10 in Genesis 11 is where you get all those genealogies. And if you count the number of the genealogies, the number of people groups that are mentioned in that chapter right before the Tower of Babel is that there's 70 nations. There's a tradition in multiple cultures that anytime they have a supreme God or just one divine being that's reigning over the nation, that they, they also have a divine council. And guess how many sons of God or guess how many angels are a part of that God's divine council? Well, it would be 70. And so, um, you know, the 70 is one of those Bible numbers. It shows up in a lot of places. But the number 70 is actually not, you know, it, it, it's not kind of like saying, hey, there's only 70 sons of God and there's only 70 nations. The number 70 is about completeness. Um, it's kind of like we've reached the outer limit of a number. Essentially, God divides the people up and he assigns them different sons of God to rule over them. And those sons of God are supposed to be like God's uh, representatives. And the people are supposed to follow their lead. And those gods are actually supposed to steward those people in a godly way, according to the way that, you, that the Lord would want them to. The implications of this are pretty significant because it means, if you can just think about all the different places that the people went, wherever those people ended up settling, there was a son of God who would be that particular people group's manager, and they would be doing God's bidding. Where the story gets kind of interesting 
is just like there were sons of God who rebelled and defected in Genesis 6, there's a, a particular psalm in it's Psalm 82 that sort of chronicles the sons of God defecting that he had appointed over these different nations. And so instead of those gods leading people into righteousness and justice, those sons of God rebelled. And so now you have these spiritual beings who are over these different territories, these different nations, but they're now gone AWOL. They have become unrighteous and ungodly. And what's really interesting is, you know, this is a sort of a, a, a rabbit hole we don't want to get down into, but um, there there's some similarities in the way different nations and different people groups describe their gods. And if these sons of God, the theory goes is that some of them probably revealed themselves to the people and started accepting worship by those people groups, which is why some of these gods in the ancient Near East often look similar or sound similar and have very common features and characteristics because you have one class of beings who are over them, and when they fell, they probably ended up revealing themselves to them. And and this is potentially where some of our different religions come from is these different divine beings defecting and asking people to worship them and setting up their own religions, essentially. Well, so, setting up their own kingdoms, kind their of. Their own kingdoms, in, yes. In nation. Yeah. You know, all of this is very interesting because the implications for today is that these fallen sons of God are still around. Yeah, it's not like they uh, just disappeared. Yeah, it's not like, well, that was back in the Bible days. It's like, well, we're still in the Bible days. You know, there's still fallen spiritual beings, fallen sons of God, who are assigned to different people groups, and those are their people groups, and they're territorial. They have different geographies, different territories that they rule over. It kind of makes sense of the passage we read last week where Satan took him up on the mountain to show him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you fall down and worship me, you know, these will be yours. Well, it's because those actually belong to Satan. And he has his own team governing the nations. So, you know, there's if, if we're going to connect some of these dots, it's, you know, you have uh, people are scattered there's fallen beings over these people groups, these nations, and the number 70 comes up as sort of a representative number of all the nations have these fallen beings governing them and ruling over them. It gets really interesting when you start reading through the Gospels because you see this number 70 come up in Jesus' ministry and in the context of him being on mission. So, again, we always want to anchor these things in Jesus, right? Yeah, but I think it is something that we don't hear talked about a lot. Even now, different countries, different areas of the world, and there are are a lot of gods that different people from different places worship in different ways. And I think this is sort of given the background story of that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a significant piece of the puzzle, I think, of explaining how did we get here. 
and what are some things that happened in the background. Now, this did get, create kind of a dilemma for God, right? So, you know, once the people scatter and then he assigns gods over them, sons of God, well, the question becomes, well, which people group is God going to rule over? Who is going to be his people? Who are going to be his nation? Essentially, this is why right after the Tower of Babel, you jump into the story of Abraham. And instead of the author focusing on the entire world and these big, massive events, he actually zooms down and says, okay, God chose Abraham because he was going to make a nation out of Abraham. And the kind of picture you get here is that God has tried to work with human beings on a mass scale. He's tried to work with different people groups, different nations, and but nobody wants to work with him. You know, they, they basically say, no, we don't want you. And so God basically says, okay, if nobody wants me to rule over them, I'm just going to have to start from scratch. I'm going to start and build a nation from the ground up. And this is when he reveals himself to Abraham. And he says, hey, get out of your country, leave your family, and go to a place that I've called you. And then he makes him several promises, and he says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You're going to be a great nation. And then he drops this thing about the seed again. He, and he says, through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, it's, it's pretty phenomenal that God went there because he just got a massive rejection from the nations. The people have flat out said, we don't want you. We don't want you ruling over us. And yet God's steadfast love, his compassion, his mercy, he still wants to bless them. He still wants to eventually bring them to the place where he always created them to be. And so reading the story of Abraham in light of the story of Babel, it, it really highlights God's, his relentless faithfulness to us to actually bring about the thing that he promised, which was to crush the serpent's head in a significant way. So, Yeah, so if we keep following the line of Abraham... Eventually, the seed would, would come to Jesus. But you were talking about Jesus and his mission. And how are you going to like fit that into what we're talking about now? Yeah, so the, the, the number 70 is a representative number of the nations um, that ended up scattering and having fallen gods you know, rule over them. And what's interesting is that this number 70 shows up in Jesus' ministry in the context of training people to do mission. And so, you know, God's heart has always been to bless the nations and to, uh, you know, bring them into the fullness of what he created them to be. But God doesn't just, you know, snap his fingers and things get done. He, he uses a process. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has already sent out the 12 to do like a little micro mission. And then they come back and they process it with them. And so you're thinking, okay, number 12, that has implications for Israel, the 12 tribes and whatnot. But Luke is really intentional about the nations. So in addition to the 12, Jesus also gathers another group of people 
to send them out on a micro mission. And it's actually to pave the way for him going to Jerusalem. But we're going to read verses 1 and 2 of Luke 10. And it starts, uh, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, I've always read that and thought, okay, number 70, I guess he's just scaling up. You know, he's, he's like, okay, we, you know, we need to get some more people trained here. But Luke is kind of giving us a signal. He's saying, look, Jesus has the nations on his mind. And he's training these 70 missionaries to go to the nations. And the idea here is that God, it took God a long time. But I think probably the best way to say that is it took us or it took humans a long time to work with God to get to this point where he's ready to kind of go to market with something that had never been developed before. There's a product, if you will, that has never been fully developed that after Jesus' resurrection is going to go to market. And it's this thing that God's dream of blessing the nations is finally starting to come to fruition. So, you know, it's it's really it's just really interesting how Luke 10 is connected to the Tower of Babel and Genesis 10 and 11 and uh, Deuteronomy 32. There, there's this overarching worldview that is at work here. Later on, we'll probably get into some discussions about, you know, the sons of God and, you know, how they functioned over the nations and how those show up in the New Testament. Uh, but I think what we wanted to do today was just kind of highlight some things that happened on God's side of the story as a result of the Tower of Babel and how that plays into Jesus and his mission. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at the big picture like this because it's not like God gave up on those people back there. Right. I mean, he let them go their own way because they he's not going to make you come follow him and be with him. Mm-hmm. But all all this time, all these years after that, he is waiting patiently and he's working and he has his plan to receive them again into his family. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just really amazing and it really shows his character. I mean, if you're just looking at the Tower of Babel, it does look like he's like, oh, well, I'm just going to let them go, what, do it, do whatever. <laughs> but, but really, he is not forcing them, but yet he's coming up with another way to mm-hmm. that requires so much time and patience and you know, faithfulness and, and love. So, yeah, I love looking at this in the big picture. Yeah. And this, you know, we, we have yet to kind of get into anything related to one life per se in our podcast, but this has direct implications for, uh, the mission that God has called us to here in Antioch is that Antioch is a place where the nations have come. There's a lot of immigrants and refugees here, and we do feel a burden. We do feel a, a sense of being energized by partnering with God 
in becoming a channel of his blessing uh, to the nations. And so it's one of the reasons why I think this story is so meaningful. It's especially meaningful for me because it kind of gives me this overarching rationale for why is God sending us to the nations? It's because he's always wanted to bless them. And there, there has been a long period of time where the nations have been ruled over by oppressive forces, spiritual forces, that is. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It is a wonderful, uh, diverse group of people in the, you know, southeast Nashville. So it, it is exciting to think about what does it look like for Jesus to come and, and for his kingdom to come in each of these different people groups. Mm-hmm. God does love all people. I think we're closing out here. Tim, is there anything you want to say about this podcast or the next one? Or Yeah, I think we've kind of set the stage for getting into Abraham. And Abraham shows up a lot in the New Testament, and he's a, he's a significant figure, and he actually takes up a lot of room in the book of Genesis. His story is pretty foundational. I'm thinking we may actually do a couple of podcasts on Abraham, because there's a lot there. There's links to Israel, there's links to Jesus, and there's even links to our own spiritual journey here in Nashville. So we, we may be getting into that as well, about how God has spoken to us through uh, the story of Abraham. Sounds good. Well, we're so glad that you have joined us for this conversation and hope that just by listening to this big overarching um, view that it also uplifts your view of God. And and uh, we definitely praise you, God, for your faithfulness and your goodness and your love for all people. So we will close it out here, and we will catch you next time.